And he says to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and those are the and the and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves. And endure for a little while then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of a word. Immediately they fall away. And the others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are, the, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. I want to start this morning by talking about Pac-Man. Oh, I'm getting an indicator to say that I've not switched myself on. Apologies. Hopefully this picked me up. Um, this morning I want to chat about, to begin the sermon by talking about Pac-Man. Who, who here has ever played Pac-Man? I've never, I've never played it, but I've heard of it. It's one of these games that unifies um, the more senior people in the congregation and also the youngest people in the congregation. We've all played Pac-Man. But one of the things about Pac-Man is, in the golden days of Pac-Man, it was on a big machine and you had the joystick and buttons and all that stuff. And you could play it, and I would argue properly, okay? And you could control where the little blob was going and stop it being attacked by the other blobs and catch the bits of fruit that were kind of just blobs as well. Um, and it was great fun. It was a great way to waste, um, like in my case, a minute or so. But people who had talent, maybe hours, I think people could actually play this game. Nowadays, um, you can get this game as an app on your phone. So maybe people will be hurrying home to do that. But controlling that little blob now is an absolute nightmare. You swipe for it to go one way and it doesn't do anything. You swipe for it to go another way, it doesn't kind of do anything. Then it randomly does something and before you know it, um, this, this blob's been eaten because we can't actually control really the direction the thing goes in. It goes in all sorts of random directions but not the direction that it's, you want it to go on and not the direction it's anticipated to go in. Um, so it's an exercise kind of in frustration. Now, why am I talking about that? Well, I'm talking about that because one of the key things I want us to grasp from these verses, um, and I'm saying this at the start, um, so if you get nothing else, please listen to this, but is that this is ultimately God's work. It's God who scatters the seed. It's his mission, his work now, and he calls us to join him on it, to work with him the creator and sustainer of all things, as he does his work in the world and touches the human hearts. And what a privilege that actually is for us to participate within what God is doing. And as we look at these verses, it's my prayer that they, these verses remind us to be less like the modern day Pac-Man. Hard to predict which direction that we're going in and generally unpredictable. Instead, that these verses encourage us to seek to ensure that our hearts are that good soil and that they are fruitful. So firstly, I want us to just explore the verses a little bit and to note some actually quite important things about it. And the first of those being what you would think is the blindingly obvious. It's a parable. Okay? 
Now you might think, well, duh, William, why are you mentioning that? We kind of know that. But that's actually an important thing because one of the things about parables is parables are intended to be a story which tells you one fundamentally important point. Now, we, we, we can have the habit of dealing with parables a bit like they're an allegory. Now, an allegory is different for a parable. An allegory is something which we can search for meaning in, in virtually every part of it. A parable is a story instead which is intended to communicate one key thing to us. Okay, now, now the, the issue with Jesus using this parable is this parable is so, image, so imagery rich and, and, and so full of, of so much uh, interest and important things it's, it's very difficult to actually treat this like a parable and not like it's an allegory and, and I am going to this morning try to treat this like it's a parable and I, and I confess now I will fail at points okay? because the irresistible temptation is to treat this like it's an allegory and get really honed in on all the intricacies of it I'm going to try and not do that because um, the, the, the truth is that when we do that with things such as the parables and they are vulnerable to that because they are imagery, they are story, they are metaphor, they are communicating things but actually when we do that we can miss the power of the parable, we can miss the point of the parable, we can miss what Jesus is actually wanting us to grasp from it. Because parables have that one key thing above all else that Jesus is trying to communicate to the listeners. And he will use story to do that and Jesus does it so, so well. And likely even as he told this parable, there was probably a farmer nearby scattering his seed. So I, I confess this morning that to try and walk that line is something that's actually quite tricky. Because even as I, as I read commentaries and as I listened to what people were talking about with this, people will begin to naturally home in on different emphasis as to what they think the key point of the parable is. But one of the things that I think helps us to understand really what Jesus is trying to press in on people is to note the context that he's speaking in. The context is one in which there has just been a whole host of rejection towards Jesus. Now when you look at how the scribes responded to Jesus, they said that he was probably demon possessed, that he was one that was working under the power of Satan essentially. And of course Jesus challenged that, he deconstructed that view and said how much nonsense that actually is. But Jesus would then speak about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and how these people's hearts were so hardened towards God that they had cut themselves off from the grace that was now being offered through Jesus Christ. You also see the situation in which his own family are coming to try and escort him away because they have absolutely no idea what's going on. They think that Jesus has lost his mind and they want to kind of usher him back to a place of safety and to deal no doubt with the embarrassment that they feel that he's causing them at this point. So what you see is um, scenarios in which the word of God is, is hitting human hearts and producing very different kinds of responses. What you're essentially seeing is the nature of truth hitting the human heart. And I think that's what we see Jesus highlighting in, the, in these verses. Is the word is scattered. And he, he's very helpfully defines a lot of this. The word, uh, the seed, sorry, is the word. 
And the word, of course, is what Jesus has been proclaiming. Essentially, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn from the old ways and live to the new ways of God. And this is from the message that Jesus is taking out. That essentially, he is that Messiah. And he's taken this message out. And of course, we see already in Mark these various different responses to Jesus' preaching, to Jesus' message. You have some who will embrace it and follow Jesus and you have others who are completely hardened to it and actually want to kill Jesus. And you have the whole spectrum in between. This is what Jesus experienced and as we journey with Jesus through the gospel, we will also see that ultimately there are others who would be the ones that have received that message with joy, but when the word becomes hard, they they, they turn and they walk away because it's too much. You see the nature of that word as it hits the human heart. So what I actually want us to have a little look into this morning is that imagery, is the word as it hits the human heart. And I want us first to have a wee look at the, at the human heart, not the anatomy, by the way, okay? We're, we're, we're using that, that imagery, that metaphor of the human heart. The first thing I want us to recognize is the human heart is a mystery. In so many ways, the human heart is a mystery. In fact, if we're honest, there are times that we struggle to even understand what's going on inside our own hearts. Have we ever been in a situation when we respond in a way and I think, I have no idea why I reacted like that. It's not how I would normally react. I'm in situations like that a lot. Because what's going on? What's, What's driving that reaction? So we can struggle to understand our own heart sometimes, much less the people around us. The truth is that we watch each other. We, we try to understand each other. We try to understand what makes us tick and um, what motivates us and, and what our values are and, and, and how we anticipate people will react to certain situations. But there are always surprises because there is a mystery there. And actually, I, I think there's something really significant about the fact that we, aren't, we, we can't legitimately say we, we truly know anyone's heart because if you notice in there, as Jesus speaks about this seed that's, that's to be scattered, it gets scattered everywhere. Now, there are some today that would, that would take this parable and they would talk about how Jesus is not a great sower because he keeps sowing in all the wrong places. But actually, I think what we can see here is that the seed is to go everywhere. And I think the temptation is at times that as Christians, we want the seeds to go to people kind of like us. We want the seed to go to people that we would maybe think won't be disruptive or complex or difficult. We want the seed to go to those that in our mind are those that are the good soil. But if the heart's a mystery to us and we don't ever know what's truly going on inside somebody's heart, it actually liberates us to recognise that the seed's to go everywhere. So the seed is also to go to the prostitutes. The seed is also to go to the drug dealers. It's to go to politicians and bankers and everybody. Because the truth is, we're not asked to judge. We don't know. But we are asked to participate in the scattering. 
So the heart is a mystery. The heart is a complex thing. We have no idea of the deeper truths of somebody's heart because there are so many factors at play there. And the truth is, we have no control over any of that at all. We have no control over that because it is a complex thing. We don't know how people are going to respond to different situations. And we have no control over that. So it's complex. It's a mystery. But what can we do in that? Well, as much as we're going to cover that as we go through the sermon this morning, I want to just reinforce one thing. My goodness, pray, people. Okay? Pray. Because even somebody that has the hardest of hearts... When God moves, could suddenly become the good soil. Even the hardest of hearts. Because the truth is that whilst we participate with God in what he is doing, and whilst he will use our words and our lives as part of his mission in this world, there is this mysterious encounter between a person and God that we struggle to articulate and most definitely can't fully understand in which as he engages with that person there is a response there is, there's lights that switch on where perhaps there wasn't previously and they come to understand the truth of who God is and I think one of the, the, the our core rules within that is actually to pray for folks It's actually to pray for people because if we make it all about our words and our lives, we miss the fact that it's God's mission and God's work and it's his power that we actually truly need. Because no matter what we believe or how articulate we are, we cannot convince somebody to become a Christian. I could ask us to stick our hand up if we've ever tried to do that. And I would hope, or I would expect to say that most of our hands would go up. God can. God does. So I want to emphasize at this stage that we need to be praying for people. The people that we encounter, the people that we share life with, the people that we interact with day by day. Because God can change the human heart. Our role within that is to participate in this scattering, but we can't tell the situation of somebody's hearts, but we can sure pray for it. But I also want to ask us a question as we think about the human heart. What about our hearts? What about our hearts this morning? You see, the issue for the script... Is that a hint to finish? <laughs> I, I don't know if this thing's... I think this thing might be in a bad mood with me. I'll try switching it off. <laughs> I'll just pop that down. See, the issue for <laughs> the scribes was pride. They thought they were right and no one had better dare challenge them. They'd shut themselves off from God's ways because of this. Entirely because of Jesus. I mean, my goodness. Entirely. They were blasphemy against the Spirit is what he ascribes to these people. They were so cut off. Jesus' mission of mercy to draw people back to God through his life, through his work, through grace and through faith was offensive and it was wrong to them. That issue of pride is always going to be a potential snare for us as well. You know, I am somebody who loves 
to have things in ordered boxes. I, I don't know if this is a man thing. We, we, we like to build boxes. We put things in boxes. And, and, and none of those boxes really touch each other. And we only go into the, the right box that we need for any given thing. And we believe anyway, whether it's true or not, we can close any of these boxes and nothing will ever fall out of it. We are in entire control of that process. Uh, anybody with a, a psychology degree might entirely disagree with what I just claimed. But nonetheless, that's what we believe. But I think the same is true with, with our faith. We, 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 we want to systematize it. We want to order it. We want to build a solid foundation. And in some senses, that's a legitimate and a worthwhile thing for us to do because there are historical things that we know that, are, that to be orthodoxly Christian are indisputably true. We mentioned the Trinity earlier on. The Trinity is one such thing, handed down through, through the Word and through our understanding of the Word, through the creeds to today. It's one of the markers of what makes a church what we would say is Christian or non-Christian, which is why there are certain people that would claim certain branches of religion that would claim to be Christians that we would say aren't because they don't, they don't subscribe to that. There are other reasons as well, but that's one of the core ones. But we love to build these boxes. But here, here's what I'm encouraging us ultimately. Don't ever decide that you're right about everything. Okay? Because, and I say with this with the greatest humility, okay? The chances are that that's more likely to be pride than infallibility. It is more likely to be pride and infallibility, okay? Because we cannot, I believe, be infallible. And I believe that when we make that decision, or when we find ourselves in that place, we are, we, are, we are at risk of becoming those that struggle to produce fruit because we are those who are, are focused in on specific things, but it's not actually the, the core things that Jesus is speaking about in these verses and what he's encouraging. Our, our concern ultimately isn't to really see the gospel go forward, but for people to think the right stuff. See, the climax of this parable, and Jesus mentions it in the final two categories here, is fruitfulness. It is fruitfulness. And I think this is important. As the seed hits the good heart, it has an effect. It makes, or what you see from that person is fruitfulness. Varying levels, granted. But you still see that. That, that person ultimately isn't like Pac-Man and out of control and just swaying in different directions, much like me when I desperately swipe the screen and nothing really happens. That person is one who's been drawn into God's mission, who's remembering what God's mission is, and who's remembering that their privileged place within that is to be par- participants in seeing that sk- seed scattered. And they are people who are impacting the human hearts around them. So what I would encourage for us as we consider that is that we seek to be those who have humble hearts. Be firm on the certainties, yes. But let's not build for ourselves an understanding in which we've decided we're right about absolutely everything. But it also requires a heart that is focused as well. One who knows who they are. A disciple of Jesus Christ. One who knows what that means in the given situations that we encounter during the week. You know, this week, I can guarantee that there are probably going to be very few situations in which you can jump up onto a table and proclaim the word of God to those around you. The truth is, there will probably be zero situations where you can actually do that. 
Now, um, sorry, Malcolm, to stick you on the spot, but I know you were on a training course this week. Um, now, if you jumped up on the table and started doing that during the course, how would that have went? Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. <laughs> you don't get much opportunities to do that. People will be talking about it, that's for sure. So that could, that could, that could be helpful. But, but the, I think the problem is sometimes we use that reality to actually excuse ourselves from the many other things that we can't actually be doing. Living well, absolutely. Living faithfully for God before people, but praying for the people around us. Because the danger is, if we think, well, I, I don't know if I can actually explicitly say anything in this situation, then the cares of this world do become the dominant thing, and we forget actually why we're in that situation as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it might just be to pray for those people, but my, my goodness, if um, we believe that prayer can mean move God and he can touch the human heart very much worth doing it really, isn't it? So what is going on in our hearts? And where would we consider ourselves to be? Are we seeing that fruit in our lives? Because other stuff will press in on us. And that can be a real challenge for us. But as Alan says, it's great to know that the God that we have, when we realise we're getting this stuff wrong, he's waiting to embrace us, to lift us up and to set us back on his path for his ministry and we get the wonder of being participants within that so I just want to uh, reinforce that for oh I switched off that's why it's not working now I didn't know it did that alright I'll just leave it um, our lives is the final thing that I want us to consider okay I've said on several occasions now that we participate in God's mission and doesn't that strike you as amazing I mean, think about this for a second. This is God who made the stars. Now, think about that for a second. You look into our universe. I don't know if you can ever see in a clear night, but you, can, you don't just see stars. You can see galaxies if you're really fortunate. You can see hundreds of billions of stars. Hundreds of billions of you had the technology of galaxies. The God that created all that, he made us, our bodies, this world. And he says to us this morning, come and join me on my mission. I want you to be a participant in it. God is still at work today. And, we see, and what we've seen and celebrated this recently in our church with people giving their lives to Christ. But we also need to remember that God is working in the whole of Aberdeenshire. He's working in Pit Med and New Pits Ligo and New Deer and all these places that we've came from this morning to worship him today. And it's his mission. And what I think is really exciting is that he's working through us you and I, to achieve that mission. To see his word continue to go out. So what is our fruit? What is our fruit this morning? Because life is busy. What does it mean for us to be a Christian tomorrow? What does it mean for us to be part of God's mission tomorrow? That God is at work and that we are amazingly part of it. How do we keep hold of that view? truth is I think all of us want and desire to see the kingdom of God grow we want to see light triumph over darkness 
And we really want to be part of that too. We want to see God in action. We want to see God doing those things. And the exciting thing is I believe that we are. We are the ones who are called and joining God to share that word. In Romans 10, 14 it says, How can they call on him? Sorry, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe unless they have heard about him? And who can hear unless somebody tells them about him? One of the questions I frequently asked on a Sunday morning is, what are you doing tomorrow at 11am? Some of us all know the answer to that right now. For others, we might not be so sure. But one of the reasons I'm asking that of us is to remind us and to, and to plant that little, that, that little thought seed almost that tomorrow at 11 we remember, I'm a follower of Jesus right now. What does that look like in this situation? Is there anyone that I could be praying for? Is there anyone that I could be encouraging? Who can I be praying and asking God for the opportunity to share my faith with them? But it's not just for Monday at 11am. It's our whole week lived as disciples, which is what we're called to be. So I want to close by just simply reminding us of this. What must we do to be fruitful? Jesus says, if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. So above all, what I want us to remember as we consider this mission that God is on and the work that he's doing in this world is that the core thing for us is that we seek to abide in him. Because it is in that place that we can bear fruit. It's in that place that we remember who we are, children of the living God redeemed and saved by Jesus Christ and set apart for his work and his kingdom. Abide in me is what Jesus says. So I want us, as as we close this out, to remember that whilst God is calling us onto his mission and whilst we get the joy of participating in that, it's not all about what we do. It's as much about who we are and more importantly who we are with. So make that time and ensure that we spend that time with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the work that you have done in our lives. How you have drawn us to you. How this morning, as we remember Father's Day, we can call you our Heavenly Father. And it not just be exaggerated metaphor what Jesus worked to achieve and succeeded in gaining for us. So Lord, as we remember that you are at work in this world, as we remember, Lord, that your desire is that your word is scattered everywhere. Lord, whilst there are varying reactions to what that means, depending on the human heart, Lord, we don't know others' hearts. So we pray and ask, Lord, that you would help us to remember who we are. You would help us to remember to look at our hearts. That you would remind us to be praying for those around us as well. Lord, help us to live faithfully for you. Help us not to be in that place where the cares of the world press in so much that we forget who we are. 
but that we cling to you and turn to you and abide in you. So lead us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand now and close our service together by